1: and 365-day returns.
2: We might just be in France, but this is global. These players are icons. Their stories are noble. In fact, each story into the game is golden. It's way more than just a game to the pitch and all that she overcame It's football 2019 and this is its brand new face football inside out by copper 90
3: What is up? My name is Monkey. And I'm Heath. And this is Football Inside Out, a podcast from Copa 90. We're coming to you every day from the Copa 90 Clubhouse in Paris, bringing you all the excitement from the 2019 Women's World Cup in France.
4: And here's what we've got for you today. Ex-USA forward and legend, Abby Wambach, tells us about her career. And as part of our Unsung Icon series, we're looking at some of the people who are working hard behind the scenes at the tournament. Today, we hear from Football Ferns head coach, Tom Sermani. But first of all, we've got a little recap. Last one of the group stages from last night's matches as part of the five things you need to know going into your day.
2: Football inside out by Copper 90.
3: Okay, number one. Who is heading home? First up, Chile. They had a great presence in the clubhouse.
4: Unfortunately, clubhouse presence doesn't get you to the knockout round.
3: <laughs> no, it doesn't get you no. points.
4: But they did have a chance to get through, missed a penalty off the crossbar.
3: Yeah. It was
4: in their hands. I know. No disrespect. There was a lot of open goal against that goalkeeper. Put it on frame. No excuses.
3: This is them. This is them in the clubhouse. You can hear them. A little snippet. (laughs) Apart from that, South Africa, South Korea, Jamaica, Scotland, Argentina, and New Zealand all are heading home.
4: Sad. But the realities. Yes. we have to face that. Um, Number two. France, Germany, Norway, Italy, Spain, USA, Sweden, England, Japan, Canada, Netherlands, and Australia All on to the next rounds, finishing first or second in their groups Which is probably who
3: you'd expect Yeah, there's no surprises there Italy, Italy's a surprise Italy's a surprise For a top two Yeah
4: Um, But that's pretty much it. But apart
3: from that, that is it. And there's some very good matchups which we're going to tell you about in a little sec. Apart from that, who went through on third place? China, Brazil, Nigeria, and Cameroon. Some of them went through on three points. Is that right?
4: Yes. So Cameroon,
3: I believe. Yeah, they won their game against New Zealand, knocking New Zealand out and uh, finalizing their place in the knockout stages.
4: Chile, if they finished the penalty, would have gone through on three points and... Being only having scored in one match.
3: Yep, but instead Nigeria went through in their place, which yeah. I think is deservedly so.
4: Imagine what Nigeria was going through on that penalty that hit the crossbar. I
3: know, yeah. Wow. Do you think they were watching?
4: 100%. <laughs> no, no, they were at, they were at uh, Disney Paris. I don't know. Some,
3: some people don't like to yeah. watch, they are just like. I'm sure some had after. their eyes closed. Matchups. Matchups. We've got Germany versus Nigeria, Norway versus Australia, England versus Cameroon. France versus Brazil, Spain versus USA, Canada versus Sweden, Italy versus China, and Netherlands versus Japan. Quickly, what's your
4: favorite? What's your favorite matchup of those? Uh,
3: favorite. G- matchup, give me one or two. I'm gonna say the Norway Australia one is gonna be interesting, and the Italy China one as well.
4: Yeah, Italy China. I'm I, I'm 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 riding for Italy for a while now, yeah, and then uh, Canada Sweden's gonna be good too. Uh, number five our, our producer's telling us To speed up But she can't even, see the, I know. She can't the even see the time Stop talking She can't see the time The time is on her forehead We so actually she can. have
3: 40 more seconds Producer yeah. Lucy yeah. So I'm just going to Long it out yeah. With this speech uh, Number five Number
4: five uh, The Premier League Has already made their statement Based on all the VAR controversies Of the World Cup this year That they will not use Video assistant refs In the 2019 2020 seasons To rule on goalkeepers Moving off their lines To save a penalty Meaning the ref on the pitch and the sideline refs have to be the ones to do that. They're not going to use VAR to call on those opportunities, which is Good. O- Is already improving the situation.
3: Good, because it's been absolutely shocking, yeah. I think, in this tournament. Do you think they use this tournament as a test?
4: I, I why, why now? Yeah, I why don't now? know
3: why, but it's been crap, basically. Yeah. Um, so I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. And that's... Wait... Pubs oh no! We're people.
4: over. Th- those are the f- <laughs> those are the five things you need to know going into your day. Copper 90. 90.
2: 90. ninety. Hold up.
3: Hi, Heath. Hey. How you doing? Good.
4: I'm good. How are you? I'm good.
3: I've got a really itchy leg because I've been attacked by mosquitoes.
4: They say that's rich blood.
3: <sighs> yeah, they've yeah. really got me. Hopefully, I don't have Zika.
4: Do you believe that there's a theory that every seven years, your body resets itself?
3: What? No, I've never heard like that. Like every
4: seven years, your body goes through a certain amount of changes. And I'm convinced that this is real because I used to be brutally attacked by mosquitoes. Me and mosquitoes get along just fine now. What do you mean it resets itself? I don't know exactly what it is, but it's something biological that your body goes through a certain amount of change. Basically, like food allergies and things like that, your body can, like every seven years, can react differently. Again, I don't think really? it's like an exact science, but over a certain amount of time, your body redevelops or evolves or grows immune to or whatever that you can have a completely different sort of like... I don't know the right way to explain it, but... Strange. Yeah. But I don't get attacked by mosquitoes anymore. I
3: don't know how people with EpiPens would feel about that theory, but...
4: Well, I don't know if it's necessarily (laughs) a full reset. Like, I don't think we, like, get to start over and, like... Oh, just
3: turn yourself on and off again. You'll be fine.
4: And everything you did wrong, it's gone. (laughs) You just started from scratch again. Um, No, but I think it's just uh, certain things that I had heard that your body goes through these, like, seven-year cycles. Mm. And I don't think it's, like, absolute, but I think you know well i'm convinced it's real because i don't get attacked by mosquitoes and what, i used to get it really what? i mean i'm sure i'll get i'll get one once in a while but i used to be like if i was outside and there was in a say a large uh area and there was me and one mosquito that mosquito would find me mm. like for sure for i'm pretty sure.
3: sure it's the same mosquito in my flat as well and it's been there for like three weeks you should go on a hunt i know i might name it i feel like we're mates now
4: it's been well, there too long. I, I wouldn't consider it a mate Mates. if it's attacking yeah, you, that's or true, if yeah. you. Keeping it alive. If. I got a question for you, actually. Yeah, go on. I haven't had a chance to ask. Is this your first kind of major tournament live? This is my first major tournament live, being here, yeah. And did you have any sort of preconceived notions that perhaps this tournament hasn't lived up to? Has it exceeded any expectations? Just sort of, we've gone through the group stages now. You've mm. been to a match. Yep. You've been around the city Mm -hmm. is there anything that you are overly like sort of surprised about I guess the only thing that That
3: I was like slightly disappointed about was the fan zone at the beginning of the tournament. But I think that's because the weather was like really, really, really bad. Now it's a lot more vibey. There's loads of people in there just chilling and watching all the different types of games. But at the beginning, that was the only thing I was like, oh, a bit disappointed. Because obviously you watch fan zones from last year's World Cup, which obviously there's a lot more people there. And you'd be like, sick. But yeah, when I first experienced, it, not so much. But I've gone back there since, and um, there's a lot of sunbathing going on, I'm watching football, which yeah. I can get down with.
4: That's a pretty good combination. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. It, it's 35 degrees here next week. Did you see that?
4: Yeah. So for people in the US, that's like in the 90s, like mid 90s. Yeah,
3: which is hot. Yeah, for, it's hot. for Europe,
4: it's very hot because it's not like you're escaping to a place with air conditioning. You're just dealing with it. You yeah. know. But we all become. I, I feel like everyone becomes a lot more free. When that happens, because when you're all hot, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like in New York, <laughs> naked. No, that too. But it's more of just like, you know, some people like hate the idea of sweating, but when you get into like humid East coast, like New York mm. and you're commuting and you look to your left and like, you're feeling like nasty and you look to your left and your right and you realize everybody's in this together. You're just yeah. like, ah, who gives a shit? But there's
3: an air con on the, on the Metro here, which is not a thing in London. We do not have aircon on the tube.
4: I saw that they just put the window down and create like the tunnel of like s- scented humans yeah. that shoots <laughs> it's through disgusting. it. Disgusting. Yeah. It's the same in New York and a lot of them, some of them have, have, have air, air con now, but a lot of them just like just lower the window, you know, yeah, the old I'm, like roll down in the old like, uh, low rider cars where you had to reach over and like <laughs> wind the window down. And there's always it.
3: like one person with a like out, out of the window. Yeah. I'm like at perfect, um, armpit height as well, which is not good. Hey, have you ever played in a match where you remember where it was particularly hot and you wanted to come off?
4: (laughs) Yes. So anytime that I've played on in a summer on artificial surfaces... They are horrible. Yeah. It's always like 10 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit hotter. Like that Gold Cup final that I told you about where we lost to Mexico, the Mm. on-pitch temperature that day was over 40 degrees centigrade yeah do you say celsius we'll celsius okay yeah celsius but i hear people say centigrade i'm like not a thing yeah no yeah Mm -hmm. what are you a scientist (laughs) yeah let it go okay (laughs) get with the now 2019 the u.s and england we pick and choose the things we want to do from the metric system we're cultured so you can use both use miles uh well we can convert to kilometers we use centigrade we use we decided to use fahrenheit why
3: do we use stone in the uk
4: do you use yards Meters. M- meters. Yeah. Meters and
3: centimeters, more than yards, yeah. Well, do you we have really a- do use yards sometimes. Yeah. We have we absolutely all
4: ruined of the world, haven't we? Yeah, there was such an it. easy system called the metric system. You're yeah. like, nah, we'll take some of it.
3: Yeah, typical British. We yeah. just have all of it. We're going to take all of it. Yeah. It's all ours.
4: The only consistency, this is really bad to say, but the only consistency that's used like grams in the US is the drug industry.
3: Great. That's yeah, like very consistent. They
4: they didn't switch to any other sort of like ounces. Yeah. I guess they used. I guess they they could use ounces, but like for the most part, it's a universal like measurement system that that like people in the uh, that industry have has stuck with and not you know tried to uh, localize.
3: They've really they've really got something there. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Smart people. Um, yeah. So playing on artificial, it's like the rubber. It's the rubber that makes it hot, right?
4: I think it's the rubber because some of them don't have rubber too. Some of them have sand in them, but they're like really. It's just really, really hot to the point where your feet actually burn, like they hurt. And if you stand still too long, your feet start to like, that you can feel, you feel like you're walking on the sun.
3: Yeah, I played, I played, um, a final, a cup final a couple of years ago on artificial turf and we all had that problem and a lot of people had to like change boots and I had Blisters in the strangest places, like all on the bottom of my feet.
4: Like real heat blisters. Yeah, like heat blisters. Yeah. Yeah. It was horrible. When I played in Dallas, it was the first club that I went to after I had my kind of stint in Europe. Mm. And by summertime, we were training at on the pitch by 8 a.m. because it was so hot that by 11, it was scorching. Like you're talking about close to 40 degrees, close to like 100 degrees. U.S. temperatures, like, really, really hot. It sucked because you had to get in the cycle of getting up really, really early, but the upside is like you're home by, like, 1130 yeah, and in a swimming pool.
3: What's the upside of having, like, a, an artificial grass pitch if you live in such a hot area? I guess that it's hard to grow grass.
4: No. I mean, down there we were on grass, but you do have them in a lot of, like, the one next to us that a lot of the academy kids train on and stuff was, was turf, and it's more of just a, a cost thing. It's more yeah, of just, right. like, the longevity of, of a pitch. If you have team after like regular, regular usage, you can get a lot more out of a multi sport uh, artificial turf that's pitch. That's
3: true. Imagine it's a little bit like playing on hot coal. Yeah. If you can play football on hot coal, you can play football anywhere. Yeah. So maybe that's the, the theory.
4: You should, we should we <laughs> put that on a t shirt <laughs> and sell it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got Copa two, sale, two does sales ha- so far. It <laughs> has
3: a new uh, e com store. Yeah. That was a nice segment. True. Good plug.
4: Yeah, they do. Actually, they do. We haven't mentioned that in a while. Ecom store.
3: Yeah, we do have a new E-com store. And if you'd like to see me and Heath modeling T-shirts, then head over to the Copa90 website.
4: But um, yeah, so just just the only thing was the fan zone for you then? Just
3: the fan zone, yeah. Everything else is like really not outdone my expectations. I guess my expectations were quite high, but especially the opening game. That actually did outdo my expectations. It, It felt more emotional than I thought it would. Especially like young girls, I thought this is so cool because this is something that I never saw growing up and all these young girls get to see it and get to see someone like them play on a big stage and that was really exciting for me, for them.
4: The only thing I noticed the difference is, Chile aside, who are all wearing Chilean colors, flags, everything, was just on non-match days of certain teams, people were dressed normal. Mm. And that was the biggest difference. The only difference was that from 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 russia that i noticed was there it was like people packed their bags with only colors of their country right, and every yeah. single day it was like you were in a yellow a bright yellow if your country f- flag or, or national team wore yellow you just only packed yellow stuff Whereas here you see people in a lot more street clothes a little bit younger crowds too so like parents right. and kids is a, a little bit different a dynamic but like less less dressed every single day In In like face paint and colors and and like sort of the celebration of...
3: I saw a lot of Scots on the Metro the other day after that game. Lots of blue, lots of blue and white flags, which I thought was quite cool.
4: Imagine being like a Diaspora and not having like your rare chance is tournaments being hosted in your country Mm. and your nation has come here.
3: Where's like the strangest place you've played a a game of football?
4: The strangest?
3: Yeah, the most... Sort of, like, bizarre.
4: I don't know. What about you? I'm, I'm trying to think of... I'm trying to think of how how I would sort of...
3: I always try and play pickup whenever when I'm traveling. Like, when I'm DJing. Sometimes I pack my boots. But, like, my Astros or whatever. Just if I see a game, I'll go join in. Like, no, I've played no. in Ibiza with a bunch of people I don't know. I played in Thailand on the beach.
4: Yeah, I would say that the, the most... It's not the most bizarre, but the most fun that I had, which was a real eye-opener for me, is the U.S. was playing in a qualifier uh, down at Azteca. It was always my dream to play in Azteca. I never got the chance to do it as a player. So I went down there for the U.S.'s last qualifying cycle. We were shooting a film just about the experience of me getting the chance now to go and experience Azteca, but this time as, as a fan. Mm-hmm. And we went into sort of like some of the like neighborhoods. And there was a, a just like a cage football pitch like you see in, in most countries around the world. The dynamic that it made up of, uh, of people on, on that court that were all playing and having fun together was the most inclusive I've ever seen football in general, where they had sort of the unathletic chubby kid. Mm-hmm. They had a couple of really good players. They had older people that were, were working and taking a lunch break, and they were all just playing. And they all had this sort of acceptance and dynamic that they could find a way to compete and have fun with a big group, whereas I'd never seen that. Usually it's like either it's for fun or it's competitive, but it was like a competitive match and everybody, it, it was just a, a, a super huge wide range of people that I'd never seen play football together. Cause yeah. in the U S you just don't like you in like Chinatown and in and, and, and New York, you'll see a lot of, uh, the different, uh, people from the, sort of working industries will we'll pop out. A lot of Hispanics will pop out onto the fields at lunchtime and, and play a game. But this was like, they all knew how to play. Whereas this one had kids who didn't know how to play, but they were welcome to play on this pitch and have a good time. And it was really, really eye-opening to me that people could sort of interact like that on a football pitch. Did you join in?
3: we just yeah I played you did, you did. I played okay, cool. yeah I went
4: for Megs every time I, I got the ball uh, but there was some there was some you, you, you're shocked at like it's a regular cage pitch in the middle of a city with random people that there's some quality talent of people playing there's also some guys that had never played before there was uh, men women kids grown-ups adults it was just a wide range of, of things but yeah I jumped in and and played with them for a little bit and we recorded it was just a lot of fun you know you just started to it's so cliche but like you started to have everybody could speak the same language at a certain point Mm because it was just what we all knew we were doing playing football and you score a goal and everybody's high-fiving you don't have to have a certain communication yeah you could could smile and high-five and you can learn simple like good game well done and like you create a your own quick dynamic with all these people just on a pitch i mean i spoke i speak spanish but like it was it wasn't about that it was just like a really unique thing for me to see
3: yeah yeah i think that's a, it's a, it's almost like an easy way for you to connect culturally with people without even saying a single word in the same language you can literally just walk onto a field and have that connection straight away which i think is really cool and obviously is the cliche of this of it's a language but it kind of is to be not yeah, too I mean, cheesy
4: you you can see people all all over th- paris mm. you'll see a ball pop up and then people will just start to join in for like a little keepy uppies to pass the time yeah and they don't necessarily all know each other somebody can jump in and you're welcome to be part of it you'll see like that circle get bigger and bigger and people just sort of hanging out and it's just it's it's pretty cool even yeah. if you don't know how to play i did
3: it at the american outlaws what, what do you think what do you call those the, things tailgate tailgate, tailgate? Yeah. yeah i played football with a couple of people there just keep you up it's not a game yeah it was hot that day, and I had to go to the airport.
4: It did look hot. I was like, the place looked like a kind of place that would have a pool, but I didn't see a pool. It like a, pool, I saw like yeah. a deck. <laughs> I saw like a deck area, and I was like, you are panning the camera, and I was like, pan to the pool where everybody gets to like cool off.
3: Yeah, after no, that. unfortunately, no pool. Yeah. But um, talking of American Outlaws, she would get absolutely swamped if she ever went to uh, one of their tailgates. Abby Wambach. We have a Detours, Dead Ends and Destinations from her, and here it is. Detours,
2: Dead Ends and Destinations.
5: I didn't really fall in love with playing the game until maybe at, towards the end of my collegiate career. Now that might seem insane to a lot of folks, but it, it's true for me. I was justifying this game as, as a way for me to get into college, um, for me to have some cool experiences, but never did I actually think that I would be able to actually turn it into something of use. I never thought that I could turn this into a professional career, let alone the career I ended up having. And until like literally until like the 1999 World Cup, it wouldn't have even been that big of a deal to become a professional soccer player. I wouldn't have been able to support myself financially speaking. But then the 1999 World Cup happened so for me, if I were to go back and tell my younger self one thing, it for sure would be, you're going to actually do this as a profession and you're actually going to be pretty damn good at it. So might as well like start focusing serious attention on your fitness, focus some serious attention on your foot skills. Um, those are definitely two areas in which I struggled with my entire career. It's so cool to see the evolution of, of, the, of the women's game and to see people's impact and individual players' impact and teams' impact and the federations themselves, they're starting to really invest real money into their programs, not just in the, in the international game, but you're seeing the club soccer systems um, really starting to put and pump money into their women's programs and what ends up happening is, um, you know, they start getting people to watch and fans and sponsorships and this dream that we all kind of have had of the women's game. I had no concept of what professional women's soccer was at five years old. And I think the women's national team, um, now that I've learned, it was just forming when I was like about five or six. But remember, this is like in 85, 86, uh, 1985, 1986. And back then there was no social media. In fact, there was no Internet. Right. So access to information was very hard to come by. You know, my idols growing up was, you know, the number 23 from the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan. And then, as I got older, understanding of youth national team programs because the ODP development, system, the Olympic development program that I played in, that was like the feeder system into the youth national teams. So my awareness of professional sports, like dreaming of becoming a women's professional athlete. Never even entered my 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 mind as a possibility because it wasn't it, it literally wasn't the women's national team didn't start to get paid until I think like the ninety six or ninety nine uh, the Olympics or the ninety nine World Cup. So my kids, though their their experience is very different than probably many other kids in the world, it's so beautiful and inspiring to me to kind of experience this this through their eyes, experience something that I helped build, and experience something that. Uh, is really important to shaping these kids' dreams, you know, because I think what's so special about our Women's National Team, people don't really understand this, they think it's about them being winners. And the truth is is, is, is everybody out there has to ask themselves, why are they, why is the Women's U.S. National Team so inspiring? Why do people love watching them play? Why are they so magnetic? And that the truth is, is is you are looking and watching a group of women who generation after generation have been building upon the culture of this relentless pursuit of excellence. And they've been railing, it's a bunch of women from the beginning of the Women's National Team. They've been railing against social norms or socially constructed norms that the rest of the world just kind of follows in line. So when people watch a Women's National Team, they're watching. And they're seeing a bunch of women who have been fighting for equal pay, who have been fighting for equal respect and equal rights. So when you watch them and ask yourself, why do I love watching them? And it's because they they represent freedom and they represent not just accepting the status quo and fighting for what's right and fighting for what they deserve. We have had an amazing amount of progress over the last 25, 30 years of um, women's professional, women's international soccer. I know that women's soccer people have been playing it, but in terms of a professional league or international soccer, we're still it's we're still in its infancy, right? And I think that something that's super important to me, and and maybe to your listeners, you know. I found myself in 2016 on stage, Shannon X, Kobe Bryant, and Peyton Manning. And here we are, all three of us, who have sacrificed the same amount, had historied uh, careers. We all had wonderful careers and we were getting the same Icon ESPY award. Now, I'm friends with, with Kobe and Peyton, and they earned every single one of their dollars. However, as soon as we turned our walk off stage, Uh, and the lights turned off, I just had this really keen awareness, uh, a different emotion. You know, I was on stage with these guys feeling super grateful, like, oh, wow, we women, we finally made it. But then as soon as those lights turned off and we walked off stage, I had this realization that, wow, all three of us are walking into very different retirements. And I think that has been the moment in my life that has set me off into this different direction because, you know, as a women's national team player... There was a real sense in me that I was doing something important, that I was representing a nation. I was representing a nation at Olympics and World Cups, and not only that, I was winning them, and I was doing good, and I was like, I know that the legacy that I, I left as a soccer player was, was, was strong and important, and yet here I am. You know, I thought, that, I thought that maybe I skirted a little bit of this oppression um, or prejudice that women feel worldwide. And yet here I am with this reality hitting me, slapping me in the face. You know, Kobe and Peyton are are walking into a retirement where they're having to worry about how to invest their hundreds of millions of dollars that they've collectively earned. And I'm trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to pay my mortgage. So in that moment, I realized, oh my gosh, this is not, this is, I'm not immune to this. This is every woman's story. Every single woman can point to her right and left to her counterpart. And that man has made more money than she has, period. And I think that that is a story that needs to be told. I'm proud of the career that I've had. And I also think that generationally, we have to be mindful that we've come a very far way. But I stand on the shoulders of many giants. And so does Alex Morgan. And so will the next generation. This progress is it's called progress because it's a moving, it's a moving needle. And we want to make sure that we get to a place where people are respected. The community is not um, underserved or neglected.
2: Football
3: Inside Out by Copper 90. That was really interesting what she was saying when she was uh, stood on stage with Kobe and uh, what was the other athlete's name? Sorry.
4: Pete Manning.
3: Pete, Pete Manning. What, sorry, I have absolutely no idea who that guy is being from I the thought UK. you
4: travel. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, explains me. So, and the UK audience. Peyton Manning is a first ballot future Hall of Famer, uh, NFL quarterback. Okay, one of the best to play the game. He has a brother, Eli Manning. But just like generational leaders, one of the most, like two of the most endorsed between Kobe and Peyton, like Mm -hmm. endorsed athletes, like just like sort of like the prototype of professionalism. For a quarterback in yeah. the NFL,
3: when she was stood up on stage with them, and then after realizing that she said, obviously her retirement was going to be a lot different to theirs. Personally, I would be thinking, especially after winning world cups and winning Olympics and and medals and extre- etc. cetera, I'd be like, what else am I supposed to do, you fucks?
4: Yeah, <laughs> it's, quite frankly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I can't. I can only imagine what you're going through at that point when yeah. you've carried sort of on your back so much progress right those other athletes are hugely talented like she said they've earned every dollar that that they've made in a a very established industry Mm. but she's pioneered and achieved the the same yeah you know as them but actually Sort of built the plane as she flew it.
3: Yeah, yeah. And
4: yeah. there's something to that. It's an incredible thing. You know, the, the other thing that I, I found with her, which was really interesting, obviously, I had a long conversation with her in that interview that you ju- that we just heard, was sort of everything being lost in the shuffle now of making a difference, like inspiring the next generation of, of women isn't just about, and 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 men, quite frankly, isn't just about talking to the progressive people in the big cities. She was basically saying, like, challenge me, challenge everyone to find out, like, who you are so you can find a way to make a difference. Instead of just, like, because everybody's running down the street, you just don't go on the street and start running with everybody, you know, mm-hmm. that you should look and find out what it is that you want to do and how you want to make a difference and challenge everything and really find out who you are, which is a really interesting perspective because Abby's a pretty polarizing figure in the sport and and, in the sense that like she she's very blunt Mm -hmm. she's very honest she's done a ton for the sport and she is quite frank in in what it is she's trying to do and that can be really intimidating for for some people and that was sort of like the question that i was asking i was like yeah but you are a superhero so for somebody who doesn't feel that and you're from a small town in the middle of nowhere and you want to get involved but you've you know and you, you don't have control and she followed up with saying like you can't control how you were born the home you were born into the way that you were raised all of these things have been sort of like burned into you without your choice but question that as you get older question those things that you've been taught go out and find out who you really are don't believe me don't believe your 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 parents the way you've been raised and really challenge this idea of of just how how intimidating it can be and just said like You can't control certain things, but at a certain point you can control sort of information and what you want to learn and and what you want to know more about yourself.
3: Yeah, I think it's important to come from people like her because um, she comes from that scenario, I guess. She challenged everything around her and found her own path. And uh, without doing that, she wouldn't have got to where she was at the moment. And we've got a surprise for all the listeners. She's going to be co-hosting a show with us in the next sort of coming week or so.
4: Yeah. And she's in today. And she's, she's coming in, in today. And she's coming yeah. in today
3: um, to do that. Yeah. So that'll be fun. I've never met her before. So I'm buzzing, really. 101 questions. She's really cool. She's, is she cool? Yeah. yeah she's I, cool. I, I mean, worried about she
4: that. is a imposing figure, you know? Yeah. Like she, you can feel the kind of
3: presence. Presence yeah. of
4: her. Um, I mean, she's one of the greatest, if not the greatest goal scorer ever, yeah. uh, in the sports. So. When she
3: walks into a room,
4: it's happy one back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's happy one back day today. It's, it's exactly. <laughs> yeah. But another, another person that's actually been doing some really great things for the sport, both on the club and, um, international level is New Zealand coach. Tom Sermani and we have a Unsung Icons package uh, where Monkey got to chat with him and here's some really cool stuff. So here it is.
2: The Unsung Icons.
0: My name's Tom Sermani. I'm the head coach of the New Zealand women's football team. In- initially, what drew me to coaching in women's football was the opportunity in the mid-90s when um, the Australian women's football program really started. Um, that was kind of the, the birth of the, the present-day Matildas. And it came about with um, when football became an Olympic sport, the, the sport became eligible for government funding. So overnight, there was a significant amount of funding went into the sport. And I was coaching in the men's youth program at the Institute of Sport at that time, and was approached about taking on and starting a women's program. So the actual, it wasn't about women's football, it was about the actual scope of the job that appealed to me. And that firstly brought me into women's football. Uh, After a few years went back into men's football and then uh, had another opportunity in the early 2000s to go back to women's football which kind of appealed to me again and I've virtually been in women's football since then. About 23, 24 years ago, uh, that was the first time in in Australia that players didn't actually have to pay to play for their national team. So that was the first step forward um, that things got paid for um, and now you look at the game where you've got professional leagues throughout the world where you get players now who can actually earn a living playing football. The profile of the, the top level players is very high. The um, knowledge of the game has increased significantly. And, um, you know, I think even it's taken a, an inordinate jump probably in the last four or five years with uh, the level of um, acceptance level of professionalism and now what you're seeing is that uh, it making real inroads into countries that really you know had had no time for it a short period ago i think with regards to female coaches that uh, i think it's it's important that females stay involved in the game if i look at it from a player's perspective and feedback from players um Ultimately, they just want the best coach they can. They, they don't really care about, in general, about gender. I think what you need to take into consideration is that the women's game has really only been professional for a very short period of time. So, in essence, what females would do is that they would be playing football and then they would have this other life so that when they finish football, they would go into that other life. Whereas men, for a long period of time, have been professional footballers and then immediately go, go straight into to coaching and stay in the professional game. So you're beginning now to see a rise of female coaches and they're, they're beginning to come into the game in more and more numbers. So I think now as players start out and become professionals, become career professionals, then you'll start to see an increase in the number of females coming into the game. So I think it's a time thing. Um, and I think the other thing is that females are smarter than males, so they stay out of coaching a little bit as well and get a proper job. The big picture on a global level is I would like to see the continued sustainability of professional leagues, the continued opportunities for females to be able to play at a professional level, and the, the continue of growth at the younger levels, so that you have got girls playing football in every country, from a, an early age and that it becomes an accepted part of the culture in, the, in every country. And I'd also like to see federations continue to take the women's game and, and treat it seriously and, and treat it on the same level. I don't like to use the word equality because I, I don't think that's quite the right word, but treat it on, on the same level. And I think that that's beginning to happen. And I think you know when you look at the build-up for this World Cup, worldwide and in many countries just you're sort of seeing that but it's important that that uh, gets sustained going forward what I'd like to be remembered for is hopefully developing players helping players um, and contributing to whatever team or country that I've coached and hopefully when whenever I've left the job that I've left it in a better situation than I went in there
2: Football. Copper 90. He was
3: a really cool dude. When I met he? him? Yeah, real honest answers.
4: I've, I've actually heard that from somebody else recently said that too, that he was just a really...
3: Yeah, really, really cool dude. And um, really relaxed. He just seemed really chilled. He was one of those coaches that would like walk around the training session, not really saying much, just with like arms behind the back, just, you know, assessing everything that was going on. And like the, other coaches were like taking the, the reins Is that the sort of coach that you would be? I don't think you would.
4: <laughs> I feel like that's the first uh, sign of uh, like, uh, like you're somebody's coaching. Like if you go to the coaching con- conventions that they have in the US, there's like yeah. thousands of coaches every year go to this coaching convention. And the most common thing you'll see is people in tracksuits walking with their hands behind their back, which is like <laughs> the sign of a coach, you know, when they walk around like, just strolling with a tracksuit on like it's official. Like, it's like a thing. They're a real coach. Now. Yeah. He coached Orlando Pride. Yep. Did he also coach the US as an assistant at one point?
3: I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I don't think he mentioned it in that, um, in that podcast, but I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, and he also coached men's football and then went back into women's football, which you just heard.
4: If you could have one accent <laughs> yeah. from around the world, what yeah. would it be?
3: Hmm... I don't know. I kind of like my accent. British accent's all right. Yeah. Um,
4: like it could be an English accent. Like you could. It could be like a, an a, a French accent when you speak English. You know. A or, French or, or, accent you when know. I speak English. Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry.
3: Nah, yeah. I think I like an Irish accent, but I don't oh, think. Yeah. yeah I, you know what? Go.
4: Yeah. We got one of our uh, Irish accent school Irish producers nodding, nodding his, his head in approval.
3: I've got um I've got an uncle who who is in Ireland. Uh, but he is Filipino, like I am, and it's still so strange to me seeing a Filipino guy with the thickest Irish accent you've ever heard, and his name's Guan. Gwan, Guan, Guan. Gwan. So everyone goes Guan, Guan, but his name's Gwan.
4: Yeah, yeah. When he's on, a, when he's <laughs> on a breakaway, they say Guan.
3: <laughs> what about you? Uh,
4: I honestly, I, I, Irish is great. Scottish is great. I, I really. Cause like, I, I'm guessing like most Americans would be like, are you from England? <laughs> and you could be like, no, it's Irish actually. Uh, you should travel. Um, but I, I really like Irish. Um, I, I don't want. <laughs> what, what don't you want? A lot of, a lot of accent. No, no. I mean, I, I think Irish is pretty good. It's a pretty good shout. About like Boston Irish. No. no, we watched that video of the guy <laughs> getting the the tickets from his daughter to like the game seven of NHL. Like yeah. that's really intense. <laughs> if I did have a Boston accent, I want to I would want to talk so vulgarly in, like, terms of, like, how rough I would use... Like, I would use all curse words as a, in a casual manner like he did. Yeah. Talk Like, they were both cursing at each other in yeah. excitement. And I was like, that's the kind of... That's the way I would want to use the It's Boston intense. Accent. I kind of yeah. like
3: it. Maybe I'd have a Boston yeah. accent. That'd be weird, isn't it? I was going to mention something before the podcast ended. In Leon, there's this attempt to break a world record of the longest football match mm-hmm. spread over four days. So it's the same people that... Um, did the Mount Kilimanjaro match. Equal and the, playing field? Yeah, and the Dead Sea match. So the highest and the lowest, below and above sea level match. But yeah, they reached out and they're going to be doing it from the 27th of June to the 1st of July. And it's going to be rolling subs 30 minutes. So if you're in Leon and you want to take part, feel free, it's day and night. I think I might go down and do it.
4: I felt hugely deprived of... A football? A football. Me too, let's go. And... I would love to do that. Okay, We'll get everybody out here. Mandatory participation from the podcast team. All of you. Each and every one of you. Every single one of you. And if you don't go, we'll find you. (laughs) Um, No, that sounds unbelievable. And, you know, being part of breaking a record would be pretty fun.
3: Yeah, I think so too. That'd be fun. Oh, do you have any date date numbers?
4: No, but we do have fan mail. Oh, yeah, we do have fan mail. So, Naranjan from Portland sent us a message saying... First off, you guys have been doing a swell job. Very classic '70s email, you know. Swell. <laughs> swell. Uh, Surprised it wasn't faxed yeah, to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody sent it via like the post uh, on a postcard. But my question, as much as I d- enjoy the U.S. women's national team dominating, I always picture that other countries like Italy or Spain will overtake us, like in men's football, in maybe ten to fifteen years' time. Do you think that this is that this thought is far fetched or spot on?
3: I don't. I don't see why that is not a possibility. And as as far as the the game still grows internationally, then we're going to find you and we're yeah. going to beat
4: you. I would agree with this in a lot of cases. So what we've seen on the men's side in the U.S. Mm. is that Major League so- the stability of Major League Soccer has actually done as much or more for developing Central American countries' players because now most of them are coming into MLS, mm-hmm. far more professional environments at younger ages, developing better, and that's increasing the quality of all of those countries, which is now allowing a lot of them to go to MLS and then go abroad or wherever. But you're you're producing better players and more professional setups for longer periods of time. And so we've seen the margins between a lot of these Central American countries get smaller and smaller and smaller. On the women's side, right, you had Canada and the US mm-hmm. for a long time as as better than others along with, I guess, Germany, Sweden, yeah. and, and what, Japan, yeah. um, and Norway, I guess. But now you're starting to see the stability of all these other leagues coming up and the emphasis on player development, the participation. Like, it is a real wake-up call. Like, the, the men's side has enough of its own problems, but it's a major wake-up call for the women's national team set up and, and women's football development in the country, because yes, participation is at an all time high right now, but now it means we need to continue to increase the quality of coaching at the youth level and really create an ecosystem that's built around uh, well having fun, but also developing players, right? We can't just at a certain point, we won't get away with having the best athletes on the national team because we funnel in some of our best athletes into playing football like at a certain point there's going to have to be a structure in place to player development or some of these countries that have a hundred years of football development and are implementing that into the women's game are going to catch up and pass the u.s quickly
3: yeah and i think this tournament is evidence in itself to be honest if you look at the england team not so long ago we weren't really competing at all and it's just taken a few years of a financial structure and making athletes professional for us to catch up in a very very short amount of time, and now we're one of the favourites in the tournament. And if that's anything to go by, then I don't see why Italy can't do the same. The African con- countries can't do the same, etc. etc. So, in answer to your question, yes, in ten or. Less than ten years, I think it this took
4: England a couple of years. Yeah, exactly. Literally a couple a years couple of professionalization of years. Yeah. to go out and say there's actually a hugely talented pool of women here yeah. that just need the structure. And now look where they are.
3: Yeah, exactly. So I reckon, fingers crossed, less than ten years, a lot more teams com- competing in the World Cup for top for top spot. Wow. But that is all we have for today. Thank you for your email, by the way. We're back tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen to your podcast, so you can never miss an episode and if you do then you can go back and listen to them all at once and please leave us a review as well
4: yeah and subscribe to the newsletter head to Copa90.com slash WC19 and click or tap on Copa90 France Daily to sign up and get in touch with us get in touch (laughs) get in touch with us because we'd love to hear from you send us emails and voice notes to footballinsideout at Copa90.com and tweet us using the hashtag hashtag man my words are messed up Copa90 Inside Out that is it from us